This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 52, and we're recording on Saturday, May 10th, 2014. I'm Jeff O'Neill, and I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We are still the editors of BookRiot.com, and it was a year to the day we started this show. Aww. We sort of t- we did 50 episodes, mentioned that, but this is the one-year episode. So our podcast is no longer an infant. It's now a toddler walking around, pulling on mm-hmm. electrical cords, um, babbling incoherently. Taking on a life of its own. Yeah, so thank you guys so much for listening and who've been with us for however long you've been listening. It's been a fun, fun go. It really has. Um, and It's gone uh, so fast. I it, mean, do, I it does seem like 50, 52 episodes, like that's not a joke. That's uh, many, many hours that we've spent <laughs> yeah, talking well, to each other that's about right. things. Um, I, I mean, this is not really related, except we have an, we have another new thing going on at Book Riot. Um, for listeners of this show, if you like this show, this is probably for you, because if you listen to the show, you like newsy things that are going on in worlds of books and reading, you know, maybe things that are new, cool, and we're talking about even. <laughs> and we, we started a new thing this week that was something we've been wanting to do for a while, and it is news.bookriot.com. Um, that's a website for those of you who may be confused. It's a subdomain of our, you know, the big flagship book, right? But what it is, is it's a Reddit style place to put links to news stories about cool bookish stuff. Um, and you can upvote it and submit links. Uh, you can comment and, uh, it's really cool. We've been using it a lot in this first week to dump things we see when we're out on the internet that we think other people might be interested in that we don't really have space on the main site for a lot of stories that we, we wouldn't have time to talk about on the the podcast. Some of them we will, a lot of the stories we're going to talk about today, we put up there. So if you're into this, you can go to news.bookriot.com and you can see, sign up for an account. If you want, you don't have to sign up to browse it. You do have to sign up if you want to submit links or comment or upvote different stories. Um, also, it's a really nice looking mobile site on your phone, which is really easy to use. Um, so yeah, check a- that out. There's a bookmarklet too. Yeah. If you are into that, like uh, if you work the way that I do with 9 million tabs open all the time on your web browser, you can get a snazzy little bookmarklet and whatever you're reading online, uh, you can just click your share on news.bookriot.com bookmarklet and share the story without, you know, moving away from what you're reading. But it's been so great. Like I think we, we get in this echo chamber sometimes, especially on Twitter mm-hmm. in publishing where the same handful of stories uh, get passed around during the week. And so uh, we've been using this, you know, for a month or two behind the scenes, just testing everything out. But now that anybody uh, can come in and share the bookish news that they're finding, it's been so refreshing to see like that there is so much happening there, there in is the world more of books than and I... reading. That, I knew there was a lot, yeah, that, but boy, that doesn't bubble up or like maybe I'm not following the right people on Twitter to get some of these stories or they're just not coming across my dashboard in other ways. So it's been really great to see, you know, what other people are reading and where they're finding information. And uh, if you do RSS 
uh, feeds, I've found myself, you know, adding a bunch of the sites that people have shared yep. news from into my daily rotation. So it's a great way to find new resources too, uh, but to have some conversations and see just at a glance what's happening in publishing every day. Yeah. Um, and a couple other things we forget sometimes because we use Twitter so much professionally and personally that only about 16% of Americans are on Twitter. Um, Facebook is not great for news. I don't know if you know about Facebook, but they've changed some things where you actually don't see everything that the sites and people you follow post on Facebook. That's a longer conversation. And it, <laughs> there's not a really good website where you just get news without commentary or popovers or, you know, respun um, press releases. So this is like kind of like it, it's, a, it's a crowdsourced feed of mm -hmm. just cool book stuff. Yeah, and the stuff that's at the top is the are the stories that have been upvoted by the uh, most readers. So mm -hmm. you can see what people think is most interesting. Uh, and one thing that even though it, it functions in that same fashion as Reddit, one thing that uh, we are especially proud of and that we plan to enforce uh, with an iron fist mm -hmm. of sorts uh, is that it, it we don't want it to feel like Reddit. We want everyone to feel welcome um, and not trolled or mm -hmm. made fun of or told that their ideas are stupid. So um, we have community guidelines on the site that you can find uh, and moderators that are active in those threads. And so if you've been turned off by an experience uh, at Reddit books, we hope that you'll give Book Riot News a shot. Um, it's a much more inclusive community. Yeah. And we'd, we hope eventually, um, and we've had a couple of conversations on the site in the comments about a couple of the articles. Um, the one we we used it for already was, and I, we don't have this in the agenda for today, I don't think we're going to talk about it, mm -hmm. um, is um, Laura Miller at Salon did a long critical piece on the novels of Jennifer Weiner, which she has long called for, not just her own work, but the work of um, other chick lit writers. And she uses, tell me, she uses that word non, she, she embraces that word now, doesn't she, Jennifer? You know, I can't I, remember where we I are. I cannot that. remember what, uh, but what Jennifer Weiner has been calling for is for uh, commercial women's fiction, is right? That commercial way of women's it? fiction. I think I think chiclet has fallen out of it's fallen out of fashion. Favor, okay. but except with like a handful of authors who now are reclaiming the term. Right, yeah. but I can't keep track of who's doing what there. But what she wants is for um, for commercial women's fiction, uh, like the fiction that Jennifer Weiner writes, to get attention from the professional like Ivory Tower book critics. So anyway, and, Laura Miller did her, she said, okay, let's do this. I'm not the New York Times, which is the one uh, Weiner has been calling for. And she did it. And it's the kind of thing where it's interesting. There's not a really good place to go talk about it. Twitter's not really suited for it because you need more than 140 characters. But we, you know, some of us of the contributors of Book Riot, we got, we had, you know, a nice 12, 14 comment um, back and forth about it. And um, I think it's going to be cool to have ongoing. You can find us there. You can see what posts Rebecca and I have submitted there. You can follow us and follow each other. Um, so, and, and if you run into snags or you've got any ideas for that, it's still, we're still working out. There are actually not that many kinks, but the idea is if you have any ideas about how it might be more useful to you, um, you guys listening to this yeah, show are kind of our target audience in terms of who we think might be interested in that. And again, it's news.bookriot.com. Yeah. All right. Let's do our when first I, sponsor. Our first sponsor. So this is a, a, a cool project. Uh, the sponsor cool. is Everybody's Baby by Lydia Netzer. Uh, it's an e-novella that comes out June 3rd. If you don't know Lydia Netzer's name, uh, her debut novel, Shine, 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 came out, I believe, in 2012. Really terrific. Uh, just She has this 
very unique, quirky, weird voice. And she falls in, I think, an interesting place between literary writing, like commercial women's fiction. I think like every book club on earth read Shine, Shine, Shine. And mm. it was it's a fantastic um, book, but it's also a little different than what It's like a I, little zany, right? Like it's it a is, little quirky. Like, it's, it like it's, it's, it's a little weird. It's a little quirky. I love her voice. Um, and it's so unique that the voice of her writing is not like anybody else's voice in fiction. And it's not that often that um, I come across a writer's voice that feels that way. Um, she also has a new novel coming out July 1st called How to Tell Toledo from the Night Sky, uh, which is about two astronomers whose parents uh, set them up to fall in love and marry each other. But then things don't go as they're supposed to. And like there's science and math and space, but there's also love and maybe magic and a fortune teller. Uh, it's great. Uh, but so Everybody's Baby is this project that she's been doing in the meantime uh, between the launches of those. And we're starting to see more of these digital only mm -hmm. novellas. Um, Karen Russell had one out earlier this year. So in Everybody's Baby, it's about a couple named Jenna and Billy. Uh, he is an app developer. And she's a yoga teacher uh, and they meet and they fall in love and are eager to start their own family, but they can't get pregnant. Uh, so Billy comes up with this plan that they're going to raise funds for their in vitro treatments on Kickstarter and offered donor perks like cutting the cord, naming the baby and catching the baby when it takes its first steps. Mm. Uh, so they make their fundraising goal, they get pregnant and they have a baby, uh, but then the marriage begins to fall apart when they have to deliver on all of those Kickstarter <laughs> perks. <laughs> uh, and having and, run a Kickstarter, a couple of them, we, right. we can sympathize with this. Right. Everything's peachy until you have to give out the perks. <laughs> to actually do the thing. Right. Uh, and so it's about what does it mean to be owned by the internet? Uh, how do relationships grow and fail in public and in private life? And the hazards of living in the cloud and, uh, you know, living your personal life or your love life, both online and off. Um, I haven't read it. I, I don't know that there are advanced copies out of it yet, but I just love this premise of mm -hmm. taking something as uh, sort of traditional to literary fiction as a story about a troubled marriage uh, and as common in our cultural conversation as this like, you know, couple's relationship starts to be troubled after they have a kid but mixing it with technology. And Lydia Netzer is really interested in technology and the internet and what online communities look like. Uh, so if the story sounds interesting to you, again, it's called Everybody's Baby. It comes out June 3rd and uh, you can pre-order online. We'll have a link for you in the show notes if you want to check that out. But another cool piece of it was that to tie in with the crowdsourcing theme of the story, uh, they decided, Lydia Netzer and her publisher decided that they wanted to crowdsource the name of the couple's baby in the story. That's right. Uh, so we ran a, a contest on Book Riot where readers suggested a bunch of names, uh, and then uh, they narrowed it down over at the publisher to the top 10, and we put those top 10 up for a vote. Uh, and so if you read Everybody's Baby, you will notice that the baby is named Winter Finnegan, uh, and he goes by Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> It's so awesome. Isn't that great? It's so good. Uh, like I, I knew as soon as sometimes it's hard to guess like where the readers are going to go when we have a, a contest that's open for voting. Uh, and sometimes it depends on 
which finalist has the biggest Twitter following or, or whatever the most friends that will come and vote for them. But I knew as soon as I saw the list of the top 10 uh, when it was Winter Finnegan and then with Wi-Fi in parentheses, <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. So you can get it, you can pre-order it anywhere. Basically, you can get eBooks. It's on Kobo, Amazon, right. Barnes & Noble, Google Play, Apple, uh, iTunes, iBookstore, excuse me. Uh, it's 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 two ninety nine from what I'm seeing. I haven't checked every mm-hmm. retailer. I don't know how long it is because it's. I guess you know it's not really built to say word count because it's not pages right. exactly. Yeah, I think you know novella it's to me somewhere is some, to it's under one fifty. Yeah, under like, somewhere more than thirty, less than two hundred. Um, that is a super specific and helpful range. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> um, but it's two ninety nine. So that that'll be an interesting one to check out. Uh, I think. Um, all right. We got some publisher news. The, the Some of the tectonic plates are moving around a little bit. Don't you, don't you feel that a little bit in yeah, publishing? I mean, I mean, I guess maybe Penguin Random House merging. Right. I think that was the the big one when Penguin and Random House merged last year. It was a, there was, that was kind of the real wake-up call that mm-hmm. the landscape of publishing was changing because it had been the big six for so long. But this uh, week, yeah, this week we saw, I think, the biggest move since that. It's not mm-hmm. as big as that, but it, I think... HarperCollins this week acquired Harlequin Books mm-hmm. um, from the Canadian company, and I forget the Tor Star or something like that. I can't remember uh, the name. I'll find it here. Yeah, Tor Star Corporation. Tor Star Corporation, which is uh, a Canadian media company. They're not specifically a publisher. They they acquired uh, Harlequin in the '70s and have had them ever since. Um, and so they bought four hundred and fifty five million dollars, which is a that's a big number that is i mean we do we pay attention to like you know when Instagram goes for a billion dollars and everyone's like, "Oh my God, a billion dollars, but four hundred and fifty five million dollars is nothing to sneeze at, and it's funny you didn't see anyone really outside of publishing notice um I think for a couple reasons, one is that um a lot of the business coverage are what sexist pigs, I think, is the word I'm looking for. Like, yes, they don't think of romance as maybe worth thinking about or paying attention to. And of course, they're dead um, stinking wrong about that. Um, and it's also publishing, which a lot in the tech world, especially, it's you know, so right, like, so Apple bought Beats for what three billion dollars this week. So mm-hmm. it's only like six times bigger than the Harlequin acquisition. But you would think it was like we, the United States, has acquired Italy. <laughs> <laughs> for all the news coverage I've seen about it. It's like a headphone company. I mean, great. I mean, whatever. But not to say that it's not an interesting deal over there. But yeah, and it's, proportionally it, speaking, this is a big deal. It is. And it, it's one that I think makes a lot of sense. So there's, much sense. HarperCollins is killing it recently. Yeah, they are. And, well, there's been some coverage of Harlequin recently that they've been struggling a little bit, like recently. Harlequin yeah. uh, was one of the first successes in romance uh, as a genre, was one of the first big successful genres in digital publishing. And there's you know plenty of, you can discuss till the cows come home, why that might be. Um, there were New York Times pieces way back when, I think when the Kindle first rolled out about how romance readers were adopting digital reading uh, first, because then you could read in public and no one would judge you because they couldn't see uh, your book cover. Uh, so Harlequin sort of led the way there, but has been struggling. And HarperCollins, as we've said, for, for probably like the last year, I feel like I'm just going to get some HarperCollins logo pom-poms. I know, we're going to get matching um, uh, HC tattoos. Yeah, they've done a great job exploring new digital platforms. And uh, so maybe they can bring some of that. But it also makes sense because Harlequin brings some great assets. They publish worldwide in 34 languages. Most new Harlequin 
titles hit uh, all of the countries that they're going to be published in on the same day. Um, so readers who are following That's along so with a story yeah. or a particular author, um, it's not like the um, model of most American publishers where like a Margaret Atwood book comes out here on one day and a completely different day, maybe months later or months earlier in the UK or Canada or you know any other country. International rights are so interesting, but Harlequin's in over 100 international markets and 40% of their revenue comes from books published in languages other than English, whereas 99% of HarperCollins yeah. books are published I know in that English. One jumped out at me so for sure. this is a really smart move towards global, uh, towards a global marketplace on HarperCollins part. Um, I don't know enough about the romance publishing industry to speculate or comment about the wide, you know, what it might mean for romance or fans of Harlequin. So I'll leave that to other um, mm -hmm. minds that, that follow this more closely. I think you are along in the same boat with me on that. Um, yeah. You can tell me if I'm wrong. I'm going to dovetail another little story I didn't have. But this week also we saw HarperCollins reveal its um, um, third quarter 2013 results last year. Oh, I um, missed these. And they're doing great. Their profits increased 83%. <sighs> Um, huge. And on revenue of the revenue was only up 14%. So they're making more profit off less revenue, which means their, their costs are coming down. Mm -hmm. um, and this is an article in Digital Book World saying that a lot of it was divergent in the movie. That's a big oh, deal. Sure. But also ebooks in general. And we've, I'd love to see if their deals with Scribd and um, Oyster and some of the other things they're working on has contributed to this at all. Oh, yeah. Maybe uh, Chantal Restivo Alessi, who's their chief digital officer, will write. It would be so great if she wrote like an op-ed for someone yeah. that was like, look, you can try new digital things and it doesn't cannibalize your sales. It actually makes you stronger. Um, Ebook revenues grew 46% year over year. Nice. And now represent 26% of HarperCollins revenues. Um, that's up from 21% last year. So while it's just a 5% increase, um, it's really like a 25% increase if you do it on a percentage basis. Um, and now they have Harlequin. Their earnings will go up again. Harlequin, mm -hmm. the other thing to, um, to note about Harlequin is their revenues were have been declining year over year for about the past four or five years. And they've had a harder time doing digital well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Harlequin has... If you know anything about books and drugstores at all, you know that there's Harlequin paperbacks everywhere and those, you know, in all kinds of places. And that was their bread and butter. And they seem to have had a more difficult time making more money out of digital books. I don't know the reason for that. Um, I can speculate, but that would just be idle speculation. But mm -hmm. HarperCollins strength in ebooks seems like something they should be able to use to good advantage with Harlequin. Right. Um, so I think. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think if I were signing a book deal, I'd look real hard if I could at HarperCollins. I just, just personally from mm -hmm. what I like and what I'm seeing. Um, I agree. I, that's and where I would go. I think it, it also makes sense on HarperCollins part to have done this because publishers of late, like in the last couple of years, have been obsessed with the notion of imprint branding. Yeah. And this is super inside baseball. So if you don't work in publishing, imprints are sort of the mini publishing houses that live within the big publishing houses. So uh, Random House has Knopf and they have Doubleday and Vintage and Anchor. And it's the imprint that you see in the little logo on the book's spine. And each one is supposed to publish a different kind of book or, or have a different theme. And for the last few years, one of the things that publishers have been trying to do with uh, online communities and reaching directly to their readers in a new way is uh, attempting to brand 
those imprints in a way that readers will remember them the way that like you know what a penguin classic is the minute that you see it and harlequin has that name and branding recognition mm -hmm. that maybe only penguin also has for penguin classics it's hard to think of other publishers that have been successful in doing that and they mm. were successful in doing it before imprint branding yeah probably was a just thing. it was penguin. just that they did their one thing really well i think maybe melville house um there those books all and yeah and i follow to some fsg degree, that's one that i pay right. attention but uh, and that's the, like, a rare case and the new york review books um yeah. publishers pocket like, books maybe i don't know those are all printed the same way and the melville house ones are all printed the same way and so like you can so if you're in a bookstore you can spot a melville or an nyrb from 10 paces yeah i um, think you and i are on the same page that we're not sure that's a super great idea but, right yeah i don't think it's but the that's way, something I, they're doing right i don't think it's the solution for the problems that publishers are having getting readers to buy the books that they yeah. want readers to buy but it's a thing that they're trying to do and so from that perspective i can i can understand the appeal um on top of all of the other assets that harlequin brings of picking up a publisher that has good name branding recognition. So that's a big move that, you know, a lot of the stories that are going on in publishing and books on the industry level are converging there. You've got the consolidation, but also eBooks and Harper Collins doing a good job and the whole, the whole mm -hmm. tune match on the other side of the, the publishing <laughs> world. Um, Amazon, uh, apparently now we don't know this for sure. There's a, there's a piece in the New York times. Um, but we do know is that, um, Hachette, one of the other big five publishers is saying that a bunch of its books are now being artificially delayed for shipping by Amazon from mm -hmm. going from, you know, if you shop on Amazon, you know that most books that you've heard of, you can get in a couple days um, through prime or maybe even the next day here. It's like two to three weeks. And these are not like backlist. No one's ever heard of title. This is the new Gladwell book. This is Stephen Colbert's book. J.D. Salinger's back catalog this week. Uh, Mario Rivera, the the great Yankees closer, had a new book out, and it was it released on Tuesday, and it was two to three week delay. So you know, <sighs> it wasn't a problem of um, right. It's not supply a supply problem. problem. So the speculation here, and we'll drop the link into the New York Times to the New York Times piece, so you can see the actual language that people are using, is that the the thinking is, and there's precedent for it because Amazon has used similar tactics with Macmillan in the past, is that they want a better deal with Hachette. They want lower costs. They want, you know, a whole, they maybe want more promotional dollars. You know, mm -hmm. there's a whole bunch of things Amazon wants from publishers. And it could be any number of them that they're fighting over. It looks like Hachette hasn't yielded as quickly as Amazon would like. So they're throttling the delivery times. Yeah, it's... Which I hate. Worth, I hate this, man. I, know, I, hate, I hate this in so I many ways. I hate this too. With Macmillan, it was that... I don't even remember buy what links. Amazon was mad at them for, but they got rid of all the buy buttons yeah. for Macmillan titles. Um, and it's not... I think it's worth mentioning. It's not just Amazon that does this when no, they get mad at not. publishers. That's right. We, we talk more about it online because Amazon makes such a good target and because there are... Uh, I think that there are many reasons to be critical of Amazon. But a few years ago, or maybe it was even last year... Um, with agency pricing and ebook issues, Barnes and Noble stopped stocking print editions of Simon and Schuster books um, because they couldn't get the prices that they wanted mm -hmm. on Simon and Schuster ebooks. And Barnes and Noble did that with some. They don't carry Amazon imprints at all, right? So I mean, 
that's another, it's the same move, essentially. It's just a different um, part of the Right. Pie. So um, this is the latest. You, it's worth looking at this New York Times piece. And I think there was another one published this morning, but it's all, it's very one-sided because Amazon has not made any statements about this. So the the conversations that I'm seeing online are like, hooray for Hachette for actually calling out Amazon on this. And remember, you can order books from your indie bookstore and get them, you know, in probably two to four Or if you don't have days. one, go to BN, go to barnesandnoble.com Right, you can go today. to Barnes and Noble or you can like, I don't Does know, Does it affect call. the eBooks? Did you know, have you looked? I haven't you know, looked. Let me look real quick. Um, so I don't know. The other thing I hate about this is the loser here is the customer as well, right? Because yeah, if I'm an Amazon is. customer and I'm looking to buy the new um, book by Mario Rivera, I don't have any idea what's going on here. So right, it's, yeah, right now the closer by Mariana Rivera is usually ships in two to five weeks. <sighs> um, interestingly, the hardcover price there is twenty five twenty. It's only discounted a couple bucks. Hmm. I wonder if that's anyway. I'm just now. I'm reading. It's like Kremlinology. I'm reading you know <laughs> a little a lot into little things. It looks like you can get the ebook right now. Okay, um, so they're just so doing it's just it with... print copies. And I should say that the ebook, the Kindle edition is $15. Um, so I don't know. It, yeah, that's I'm, an expensive I'm ebook. guessing it's about, and then the audio book, can you get audio right now? It's available on audio and it says you can get it right now, which I guess makes sense because mm-hmm. how would they justify two to five weeks for the for <laughs> Kindle? Digital, I mean, right. I guess that's the only I'm thing. sorry, we cannot supply to you this file. <laughs> the internet the is broke <laughs> and we cannot get there. <laughs> yeah, um, that's it's this is so frustrating. And the conversation that we had about this on the Book Riot news site yeah. is that um, Amazon d- does these things if this is really what's going on, because they know that customers will still keep coming back that like you said, most Amazon customers, you know, are, don't work in the book industry, don't listen to podcasts like this or read book news sites. And so they just go to Amazon to order a book. And when it's not available, they either will wait for it to come, you know, just order it now or and wait never two buy to five it. weeks or never buy the book, but they'll go back to Amazon for the next thing that they need, whether it's a book or a movie or, a you know, overnight delivery of diapers. And Amazon knows that their customers will do this because there are some things that Amazon is really good at. And for the most part, getting th- getting products to people quickly and cheaply is one of those. Uh, and it's interesting. Like I think I talked on the show a couple of times about how I've been listening to the audiobook of The Everything Store mm-hmm. by Brad Stone, which is part biography of Jeff Bezos and part sort of corporate biography of Amazon as an entity. And they talk um, all the time, Amazon talks all the time publicly about their very first priority being customer service. Um, and in the book, uh, Stone says that this was Bezos' uh, idea from the beginning, was that this was how Amazon would be different, is that they would intend and set out to make all of their decisions to serve their customers first, rather than serve businesses or serve publishers. And certainly that's been the tension between Amazon and publishers for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um but it does seem that they drink their own Kool-Aid on the inside. Like you and I sort of had a little argument about mm-hmm. it of um, what, what they might be saying to justify these actions to themselves within the walls of, of Amazon. And from the everything store, it does seem like they probably really believe that they are doing this for their customers own good, that like, this is a short term uh, negative in not being able to get these books in favor of what they view to be a long-term positive. If Amazon gets better terms with publishers, then presumably it's better for Amazon customers. Right. Uh, there's, there are a lot of dynamics there. 
yeah, uh, at work. Are. But it's just, it's just, it's just a po- it, yeah, it's just kind of a. I'm trying not to curse. It's a poopy way <laughs> to, <laughs> to to conduct business. Um, and even if they are, even if they wholeheartedly believe that this is a thing that they are doing in their customers' best interest, um, to jerk your customers around and not deliver on something so that you can try to get better prices um, from a publisher or from any distributor is yeah nah, it's not great no it's not great and and the people i guess it really hurts and it's short term damage i guess is anyone who has really a new book out this week mm-hmm. from Hachette right i mean that's the one because first week you get so much publicity and you bestseller lists and right. you know even if it's just on the amazon bestseller list and people have attention i mean if if you were in the market for the closer by mariano rivera and you went it's 2 to 5 weeks I don't know about you. I'm not ordering it. I'm just not right then. Yeah. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm like, I'll come back later and check it. And then I'll forget. And I don't know. <laughs> um, it just, it really, the reason this works is because it hurts the publisher. That's why this yeah. works. That's why they do yeah. it. And it hurts the publisher, not only their bottom line, but it hurts their author relations and their, uh, the, with their editors and just the whole, the, the whole shoot and match up and down. A lot of the marketing they'll have spent on these things. Um, you know, whatever Little Brown was marketing this week, Amazon is, you know, somewhere between a third and a half of the Mm -hmm. American book market. Like, it really hurts. And that's the power Amazon size gives them. Um, I wish they could figure out some other way to arm wrestle about these things that didn't hurt individual authors who have nothing to do with this, um, and then didn't cause individual readers significant pain. So, um, if you are looking for, if you are buying Hachette books on Amazon this week and you see something that's two to five week delivery, chances are it's a Hachette or Little Brown title. And you, you can, can get go it anywhere, anywhere else. else. It's not, it's not a uh, system wide blackout on uh, Malcolm Gladwell. The internet is not broken. <laughs> so, okay. All right. Let's move on. <laughs> you want to talk here. about something else that's a bummer? Man, man do, we, do we have anything good here? Okay. We got a couple of good things coming <laughs> we up do. after we this. We have so. some other good things. This is, and this is not, I don't think we can go super in depth no. on this story. There aren't, a, there aren't a ton of numbers here, but I came across a study earlier this week. Um, I think that someone tweeted to me that um, is a look at benchmarking women's leadership in the United States in a bunch of different industries. Um, and one of those industries that they look at is literary publishing, but also you can see where how women are doing uh, in movies and music and all kinds of entertainment, both on the business side and in the being like sort of being the talent side of it. So we'll put the link to this in the show notes. It's from women's college dot uh, du.edu. And there's a PDF, several pages on page 36 of the PDF, they look at arts and entertainment. And the big take home here is that women authors outperform male authors on bestseller lists. Um, In 2011, which is the most recent year that these numbers came from women authors accounted for 60% of the sales, um, 60% of best-selling authors were women in 2011, but they earned, wait for it, 27% of the money. That's, that's very strange. I, I've been thinking about how to account for this in any kind of way. I think women authors are getting smaller, if I had to guess, smaller advances. Is that what you, yeah, it must be, right? Um, And it's totally possible that they are not as aggressive in 
negotiating their contracts or that mm. they their agents are not as aggressive in negotiating their contracts or that publishers are not as open to aggressive negotiation from um, women this has the uh, lean so in men, written all over it yeah and uh, right there i think there are lots there's a lot going on here that's mm -hmm. leading to this situation where women account for 60 percent of best-selling well, authors but 27 percent of earnings it's just <laughs> well i was also thinking too like it could be like well say romance right mm -hmm. and i don't know if that's included in this but those the cover prices of that stuff is really inexpensive so I'm wondering if maybe women get more paperback originals or mm. – and I'm not saying it's not part of the, the problem. Yeah, it's but, just that's one of the manifestations right, might I guess be. With romance, like if, you're, if your first and only edition of the book that's in print is a mass market paperback that sells for seven ninety nine, mm -hmm. as opposed to like a new Dan Brown hardcover that sells for – Twenty seven ninety nine, and then paperback for seventeen ninety nine, and then eventually mass market paperback for eight ninety nine. That's I think that's probably part of it hmm. too. But presumably they might also make up for it in volume. Some of those romance bestsellers. Yeah, know, I, I do don't know. I don't orders know orders of magnitude more than a than a literary bestseller does. Um, it's also interesting to note women account for twenty percent of CEOs. In the publish in publishing, but sixty percent of best-selling authors mm. and women in publishing houses as authors, on average, account for forty percent of leaders in the industry. Hmm. Um, so good, you know, interesting numbers there, but some maddening stuff. There's a look at literary publishing uh, CEOs and their earnings. Uh, whether there's a male CEO or a female CEO and the company's earnings in millions, uh, mm. lots of. I mean, I wonder if also stuff. women's books don't get discounted as heavily because books by men, people are willing to pay more for per title because we're biased jerks. Like, I mean, I'm just thinking well, like it or, could be every step of the way. Yeah, there's a 2% difference and suddenly you add them all up and it's 37% right. or 33% yeah, like, difference. Uh, turtles all the way yeah, down. Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, it's... <laughs> Which is a phrase I have recently learned the meaning of. Oh, it's great. That's a good yeah. one, where there's just no uh, bottom to it. It's just, that's, right. it goes on yeah. to infinity. Uh, I think that that's what's going on there. We've talked about sort of like the vicious cycle where uh, it, it takes somebody like Dan Brown, who we love, mm -hmm. uh, but he gets a huge advance, and then the publishers are determined to you know make some money back to profit on yep. having given him a huge advance so they create a big marketing budget uh, which means that there are lots of advertisements for the book it's the, old, also, it's the old Andrew Wiley right play, right and right? a lot of, right there are lots of advertisements for the book there's a lot of publicity effort put into making sure that reviewers and people in the media are aware of this book so that oh, the book that's a, gets that's a stat I want yeah, publishing so gets, marketing dollars oh, broken down by gender we that's it, not going to be a pretty number. no and there's we're never going to get the number no no we never uh, <laughs> maybe that should be yeah, the one so for our magical stat we'd like to know but never can. i would love to know that that stat because and it's not just about reviews you know like no. dan brown dan brown writes those big commercial blockbusters and he's not and it stays in hardcover forever i mean it right, stays in hardcover 18 most, months he's not most likely going to get like a michiko kakutani no. review for every book that he writes but he's on the today show mm -hmm. uh google had him in their offices last week for a live hangout like uh someone at random house is spending a lot of time and money making sure that the publicity effort uh is is happening there 
to keep people talking about Dan Brown in media mm -hmm. so that readers know his books are out and they can buy them. And I would guess that if we got that number, like if someone managed to wrangle all of the marketing budgets from all of publishing, even just like in the last decade and break down the typical marketing and publicity budgets for mm -hmm. books by men and books by women, we would see that it's being borne out there. But I, I think it's at every, I mean, we've said this, it's every link on the chain. Uh, and I wish that it weren't a thing we had to talk about so often. Yeah. Well, just to do stat think for a minute, um, this is not 20% of bestseller earnings. It's 20% of all earnings, right? Uh, it's 27%. 26, so. oh, sorry, 27% of all earnings. Because here's right. the thing I'm also saying is remember how much of we know that a lot of publishing earnings are from backlist. True. true. So we have a lot of bias just in what's available through the backlist that there's just more men's books over, mm -hmm. you know, we're there's F. Scott Fitzgerald and Hemingway and all. So some of it could be the the weight of a hundred years of publishing um, and literary bias where you just have a lot more dudes with deep backlists. Yeah. So that it, could be, you know, not, that's not great. I'm just roost, saying right? it's might be one of those things that's going to catch, take a while to catch up. I don't know what percentage of say um, Harper Collins 2014 revenue will be from books published in 2014. Mm -hmm. Is it half? Is it 75%? Is it 33%? I just don't know. But th to some degree, these aren't, these are comparing apples to oranges a little bit. Little bit. Um, but that's not to say it's not surprising or thinking about just it's, it's a right. very and complicated if situation. If this is an if it's a thing that you find interesting, then it's probably worth scrolling through uh, this whole document. It's very interesting and looking, PDF, yeah. Looking at movies and TV and music and uh, and also to compare how publishing shakes out against uh, all of these other industries in which women uh, can be and you know should be holding equal leadership mm -hmm. positions. So that's that's there. Here's some good news. Good news. news. Good we news. talked probably a month or two ago about um, how British jails were preventing prisoners from getting books from the outside. Mm -hmm. And uh, there wasn't a lot of information there, but we talked about, you know, the value of reading if we believe that it changes our lives. And so this is a cool thing. Uh, Italian prisoners are being offered three days off of their sentence for every book they read in jail up to 48 days off a year. Mm -hmm. So you can shave like a month and a half off of each year of your sentence for, uh, reading the it says uh, the the official say it's the equivalent of 16 books per year and that they all have to be above 400 pages uh, mm. and approved by pr prison staff so comic books and picture books are excluded but this is uh this italian prisons move towards uh you know releasing some people early towards making space because they have crowded prisons there as well but i think it's interesting yeah, so this, it's not in all of Italy, it's just in um, Calabria, so mm -hmm. it's just one part uh, of Italy. Um, I don't know how, it doesn't say how they know they've read it. I, you know, I don't know if they do uh. a little quiz or they watch them, or, but we'll put that to the side for a second. So you can get 48 days per year. So, I mean, that's really interesting. They have a, 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 a population problem there that mm -hmm. they have spots for 60,000 people in prisons and they've got uh, uh 80,000 people um trying they're trying to fit in. So yeah, I mean sure, why not? I mean, right, yeah. I I think what's 
interesting to me about it is that somebody in this Calabrian prison system was thinking, like, what can we do to decide which prisoners to release early so that we can make space? Mm -hmm. And I mean, they might have other programs going on. There's not information about, like, you know, the mechanics of uh, prison population management in this piece uh, from the Daily Mail. But I like the idea that it occurred to someone, like, maybe rather than just nebulously defining good behavior (laughs) or uh, letting people do more work or something in order to be released. It occurred to someone that may be a valuable thing uh, and it would be to be encouraging prisoners uh, to read. So let's say you're doing a three-year stretch in the Calabrian uh, medium security prison. mm -hmm. So if you you maxed it out over three years, you'd knock about 100, so almost a half a year off your sentence you could knock off. Yeah, for 16 books. Yeah. A year, which is, you know, one and a quarter each month. Right, which I think um, you would have some time. I mean, right, I don't know what your daily life looks like in the Italian read, prison. but You've got to read 500 pages a month, basically. Yeah, so, uh, I, I mean, sure. I mean, I don't know yeah, little about prisons, but that's super interesting. <laughs> you know, it reminds me that when we were talking about um, book sales for Alice Munro, we were looking oh, yeah. at the country-by-country country breakdown. And the Italians are great book lovers. They're one of the great book mm-hmm. lovers and con- book-loving countries in the world. Um, so I'm kind of not surprised it's Italy that's that's trying this. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what to say about it except good and get reading. <laughs> right, yeah. I think I want to follow this. Yeah. Like it would be interesting since we live in the age of the internet if there were a website somehow like where we could – where like where we could see what prisoners are reading and where they could write about what they were reading. I mean, I'm sure that there are all kinds of problems with I uh, the execution of that, but it would be so interesting to know. I wonder if they're thinking that we want to let these people out for reading X number of books a year for what reason? One, they think that the process of reading will have sufficient, have added to their rehabilitation process in X percent and will knock that percent off. Or you could almost think of it, I wonder if they think of it as like a secondary signal of who should be let out early. Mm. Like, because like, you know, maybe it's not the book read, you know, that they've, these books they've read will make them better people, but that the people who are willing to try reading the book and put in the time and might be more willing to get their life back in shape on the outside. Yeah. Maybe they're using willingness to, to read as a proxy for some other personality dimension. Um, So that would be, which seems very reasonable to me, um, put them all together there. I'd be, I'd like to see um, the books they approve or is there a list or, you know, can they pick from what's available? Right. This seems like it it would make, it would be an interesting project to do. Like if you, you know, if you're in this prison for a year and you need to read 16 books (laughs) to shave off your 48 days, what are the 16? What are the 16 we'd recommend for Italian prisoners that that you pick? Um, But I mean, who? I don't. I don't really think there are magic books that we would pick for this. Actually, Um, like autobiography uh, of Malcolm X. I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) I don't. What? I I don't know. I think what the books that change each of us are so. uh, That's just such a unique thing. that a prescriptive reading list might not be the way to go. In fact, I kind of hope they don't make it a prescriptive reading list. Like, I hope that well, this maybe there's has, a list of like 500 books, and you can pick. Yeah, from these. or I hope they have some guidelines. Like it says, you know, comic books and picture books don't count, and that's fine. That those are the rules that they've set, and presumably they have some content guidelines. Like uh, I know in the local jails in Richmond or the local prisons that you can't read true crime, mm. uh, which I can understand the logic there, even if, though I'm not sure that it makes much of a difference. Um, 
but it would be, I think it, it would be cool for them to just say, you know, here are the guidelines of what you can't read, but anything that doesn't violate those rules, go to town, um, read what you want. There's something magical there too, about getting, uh, finding the books, dial, you know, dialing in what it is that you like to read. Mm-hmm. Anyway. All right. I'm not going to spend too long on this next one. I just, it's one of those things that's so absurd you have to talk about it. So, <laughs> uh, New Hampshire resident, a dude, not surprisingly, um, was let out of a school board meeting in cuffs because he was protesting that his ninth grade daughter had to read Jody Picot's novel, um, 19 Minutes. And he was Which up there. Which is about a school shooting, by right. the way. Uh, and uh, he was up there talking, and they said, you know, sir, your time is up. And he's kept interrupting them and being asked to stop. And he said, the only way I'm going to stop is if you arrest me. And so they so? said, we can accommodate that. <laughs> uh, it's, man, there, we don't know much about this. And like, there's, the stories have been mostly reported without the dad's uh, perspective. 19 minutes, I, I've read it. And it is, uh, Jody Pico writes, you know, sort of ripped from the headlines stories. Um, and this was about a school shooting. It came out uh, several years after Columbine, and it rotates between the perspectives of the kid who becomes the school shooter, that child's mother, uh, local law enforcement officials or a judge, I think. It's been a while. Some mm-hmm. of the teachers, but you get lots of different narrative voices and points of view. And the father wasn't objecting to that. He's not objecting to his ninth grader uh, reading a story about a school shooting. He says that uh, there's a sex scene for the book that he considered similar to, quote, the transcript for a triple X rated movie, which makes me suspect that this man is not familiar with triple X rated movie. Apparently it's, it's much more mild than what you're going to see on TV. I don't know the book at all, but we're reading it's, some others. I, I mean, I'd be, I don't remember the sex scene in this book. Um, Granted, it like uh, it has to be pretty, uh, pretty uh, unusual for me to find a sex scene in a book to be memorable. Um, yeah, so but I, it's Jody Pico. Like, come on, it's not triple X rated. It's uh, people will do some crazy stuff to. Uh, you could a whole study on the crazy stuff people will do um, to try to ban books. It's just it's, and, it's just a Rorschach and, test for know, craziness. I do think. Uh, parents are entitled to have some input into what their kids read in school or uh if not that then they should certainly be actively involved in talking to their children about the books that they're reading like if this is a thing that you are concerned about if the content of assigned uh books is a thing you are concerned about then you should be reading them and you should be talking to your kids and there's a way to go about expressing concern but getting yourself arrested at a school board meeting is not likely to uh, help you build respect for your argument and he's also it sounds like he's one of these guys too because he was like screaming about the this violates his first amendment to only have two minutes at the right. Right, yeah, then it's always these to, guys are like my first amendment you know they're always which, the like, worst yeah and our our colleague amanda nelson always says that if you think that being that that experiencing consequences uh for the things that you say is a violation of your uh first amendment rights then you just need to reread the first amendment <laughs> <laughs> maybe this dude is just not a great reader i don't have anything nice to say about him so we can move on <laughs> yeah there's not there's not much to say there um the navy's doing cool things uh, this was so weird uh, well, I guess maybe it's not weird. It's just cool. The Navy is – they've developed um, an e-reader for 
People on subs, is that right? Yeah, for life on submarines. They, they don't allow iPads on submarines because um, spies could use the camera to record inside and cell signals. It's got could, wireless communications yeah, and all these cell things. Cell signals could betray the location. Uh, they they have similar policies about Kindles and other e-readers. And so um, up until this point, if a service member wanted to read, he needed to go to the miniature onboard library and check out a book. And like, I have not been on a submarine <laughs> recently, but I would imagine that the space that al is allowed for the onboard library is not huge. And that if you were down there for a while, you could probably burn through most of that reading material. You know, this is one of those problems I had never considered. So, and of course they need an e-reader. Right. And of course, like, I think first, this is great that the Navy thinks about providing reading material for mm -hmm. the people that are spending a bunch of their time on submarines and serving our country um, enough to have spent time developing this. I think that's really great, too. Like, you want to read, we will provide you with a way to read. So they have developed, it's called the NERD. The NERD. <laughs> the Navy e-reader device. And it's an e-ink tablet that resembles a Kindle, but it doesn't have any internet capability, no removable storage, and no way to add or delete content. So it comes like preloaded with um, ebooks and audiobooks, and things are available online for service members and their families. And it, apparently it came about because um, people were requesting access on ships. So now you can keep 300 books uh, on your nerd. Yeah, so they, each each sub will get five of them, so you got to pass it around. Mm -hmm. And it's preloaded, and it can't change. Like, that's part of the problem with any other device is they have an external port that some spook with a USB drive or, you know, whatever yeah. could put something on there. So these are locked down. Um, the selection uh, says it includes modern fiction like Tom Clancy and James Patterson, perhaps not surprisingly. Yeah. They were popular in the Navy as nonfiction, classics, a lot of naval history, <laughs> not surprising. So the Navy itself has a digital collection of 108,000 titles, which sailors have full access to while they're on shore. Mm -hmm. But apparently the, the service men and women were saying, you know, it'd be great if we could get some of these while we're um, at sea. Now, I don't know why. I guess maybe an aircraft carrier or a destroyer just has more room for physical books. Um, mm -hmm. And so it makes sense to start these on a submarine where space is at more than a premium, right. I would say. So that's really cool. The nerd um, for Navy guys. Right. Maybe they'll do versions of it. Like since these ones that are rolling out will have the 300 titles and th that won't change. Like maybe this is 1.0 and in a year or two, they'll do nerd 2.0 with 300 different yeah. titles. Yeah, that makes sense. It can't be very expensive to make because e-ink screens with a small, I mean, you don't need much memory to store 300 um, text files, essentially. Yeah. So maybe they can they can pump out a bunch of these and rotate them around. Yeah, and, and they uh, note here, this the piece we're referring to is from The Verge, and they note that entertainment in the military is not unlike it is in prison. There are a lot of restrictions and few options available for breaking up uh, the monotony of daily routine. Uh, but now sailors have a, a high-tech option, and they can read uh, these 300 books on an e-reader and not be limited to whatever was in the, like, what I assume is a closet-sized a submarine onboard library. That's another list I want to see now. Like, if you have access to this, or like you've been in the Navy, or yeah. someone that you know is in the Navy, I we really want to know see, what's like, on this. Could someone pl also please take pictures of the onboard library in a submarine and send mm, them to me? <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. So we now need lists uh, recommendations for Italian prisoners, <laughs> and we need recommendations for um, American submariners and pictures of submarine libraries. Yeah. So please send us all, or drop it on news.bookride.com. We'll link yes. to it. We'll tell you about it. That but thing would become very popular. 
popular very quickly. That is what we call bringing it all <laughs> back. You know, we better get to our second sponsor. We better get there. We run should. a little long. And these guys are awesome. I love these guys. They're the best, um, witty, charming, great uh, taste, generous, um, humble, most of all. And they are the people that bring you bookriot.com and their quarterly box. <laughs> oh, so, and wait for it. They're us. They're us. <laughs> oh, that's us. Um, so we've talked about this before. And we're coming up on the end of the subscription period for what is this? What number is this? The this is our box? third quarterly third box. Quarterly box. Um, the deadline is May 15th. And no, the deadline is May 29th. May 29th. And by May 15th, I mean May 29th. <laughs> um, add a fortnight to that. And <laughs> this is kind of your baby. So why don't you take it away here for a second? Sure. Then I'll jump in. Uh, so subscription services have really exploded online in the last few years for things like clothing and cosmetics. And now you can get the Bark Box, which is, a, I think, a monthly delivery of stuff for your dog, uh, which my dog really wants, but I have not <laughs> done. Um, Quarterly is a service that aggregates people who want people and content creators and celebrities who uh, want to create boxes that their readers and followers and fans uh, can subscribe to. So when you subscribe to Book Riot's Quarterly Box, it comes once a quarter. Uh, and every three months, you get a box full of stuff that we love. Um, that's sort of the bottom line, easiest pitch for it. You'll get at least one book in every box, along with other bookish items like uh, coffee mugs. We did special... Um, book darts that are like metal tabs that you can use to mark certain passages. I found that one. That's something I've loved yeah, forever. That was, that was a great. Jeff thing. Um, you get a letter from us that explains why we love the books and why we love uh, all of the other items that are in the boxes, uh, plus special extras from authors and publishers that you couldn't get anywhere else. Um, Max Berry was the author featured in our very first box for his book, Lexicon, and he wrote post-it notes uh, that we stuck into every single copy of the book. It went to 750 people, um, quarterly duplicated those post-its, but you would have gotten the hardcover book and opened it up and found 10 post-its stuck throughout the book with handwritten notes from Max Berry telling you things about the writing process or inside bits of information uh, that add to the story that you wouldn't get anywhere else. Um, publishers give away advanced copies of their books to randomly selected subscribers. Uh, this time around, five of the subscribers are going to win Kobo Arc tablets uh, that will just be included in the box uh, for them. So if it mm -hmm. sounds good to you, we think it's a ton of fun. Um, this is my baby project, and I just have had such a blast um, picking out you know, books that um, we at Book Riot, that a bunch of our contributors love, but that maybe have flown under the radar and that we want to bring some attention to because they deserve it. Uh, and we think that you'll love it, but also so that we can work with those authors and publishers to create new cool things that you couldn't find anywhere else. So you can subscribe at quarterly.co slash uh, products and click on the Book Riot logo right there. It's $50 for each quarter. It auto renews. So once you're signed up, you're good to go. Uh, but you can also cancel it at any time. If you get one, you think it's not for you or you want to pause your subscription for a bit. Uh, we think it makes an excellent gift for a mom or a dad or a graduate in your life or for yourself mm -hmm. going into summer, uh, but just really fun, great things. And if you want to take a look uh, at what the previous boxes have included in them, you can search for quarterly on the Book Riot website and see uh, the reveals of those contents. The latest one was called BK 
KRO2. And you can search that hashtag on Twitter or on YouTube and watch people unboxing them, uh, which has been really fun. That's to, been fun. Yeah, to watch people, you know, unpack their boxes and talk about the material that they got. But we've been having a blast with it. Um, and we just think it's really fun to be able to pick out things that we love and share them with our readers and listeners that way. So again, it's quarterly.co slash products and click on the book riot box. The, the, the things people we've said, uh, people have said about it that stick with us. One is that it's like um, book, four, nerd Christmas. book nerd Christmas four times a year and a care package for your reading soul. Mm-hmm. Um, those, you know, the people who've liked it the best have, have said things like that. I think the thing, there's a couple things that are fun. One is it comes regularly, right? It's something to look forward to. It comes right to your door and it's just, the surprise is fun. You don't know what's in there. Right. So it can be almost anything. We scour the world um, for items to include and to have a lot of fun doing it. It's been right. a really and nice piece the, of the puzzle. Uh, the only guarantee that we make about the books is that these will be great books uh, that we love and want to share with you. So all kinds of genres are represented, fiction, nonfiction, old books, new books, uh, stuff that hasn't come out yet. There's just a, uh, it could be anything. Could and be so anything. If you are adventurous in your reading soul or you want to be adventurous in your reading soul, this is a good way uh, to take those steps and, and hang out with us and be part of the Book Riot community uh, with our quarterly box. Yeah, $50 a quarter and you can sign up for... You sign up and auto renews, but you can cancel at any time and no yep. harm, no foul. So thanks to us for sponsoring <laughs> us. We did a heck of a job there. Do you want to hear one more cool thing before we do new books? Uh, should we do one? Yeah, let's do one more. One more cool thing before new books. This was just the happy making story of the week, I think. Uh, in Stanton, Iowa, the public library is moving locations and more than 400 of their patrons lined up and formed a human chain. Um, There's only, the town, I should say, only has about 690 people. So like most of the population of Stanton, Iowa came out for this project and they formed a human chain to pass uh, 3,000 books from the old location to the new location of the library. Isn't that great? It is great. It's like something out of like Mayberry from the Andy Griffith show or like Stars Hollow for Gilmore Girls. It's like, this is, you know, Norman Rockwell is coming back from the dead to paint this onto a plate. Um, It's it's awesome. I mean, what else to say? That's a lot of fun. It's a good story. I was picturing it with like Mumford and Sons standing on the corner playing <laughs> gentle, soothing folk music or something while people were passing these books down. Just so cool. You Just know, great. Um, put that in your pipe when you feel like, you know, the Everyone internet is killing the world communities. And everything's <laughs> terrible and libraries are great. All right, let's do new books and get the heck out of here. Uh, I'm so excited about new books this week. So, so, so excited. Uh, primarily because my favorite book of the year so far came out this week. It's called An Untamed State by Roxane Gay. It's out from Grove Atlantic. Uh, Roxane Gay is, uh, she's a writer of all kinds of topic topics. She writes about pop culture and uh, feminism and TV. And this is wonderful fiction. It's her debut. Uh, it is about a woman who's a first generation Haitian American and uh, she and her husband and their child go back to Haiti uh, to visit her parents who are very wealthy. Um, and their wealthy neighborhood is surrounded uh, by very impoverished neighborhoods, uh, which is sort of part of the difficult landscape of modern day Haiti. And she is kidnapped and held for ransom. Uh, and her father, who is a powerful businessman, uh, does not want to negotiate with 
the kidnappers. So she's held for 13 days while her father refuses to pay the ransom and her husband struggles to figure out a way uh, to get her back. Uh, it's very difficult at times. Um, the All of the terrible, I think the thing that I keep saying about the book is that uh, all of the terrible things that you think happen to a woman when she is abducted by a group of very bad men and held for ransom happen to this woman. Um, it, it's not easy to read at points, but it is so, so riveting. Um, I cannot remember the last time that I felt like I just held my breath for pages on end. Uh, and it's ultimately also very hopeful. It's beautifully written. Uh, there are just some killer sentences in the book. Um, it's been months since I read it, and I'm still thinking about it. And I've been talking about it at every turn um, because it's out now and you can buy it. A lot of uh, people are talking about it. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of people really describing it like you've described it, just can't put it down. Just it is it is incredible. And uh, uh, Roxanne wrote a, a piece for Book Riot this week about her genre kryptonite, like what she can't resist reading. Uh, and it was international thrillers and serial killer novels. And so she reads very widely, and it is apparent uh, in this novel mm. that she knows about pacing and tension and how to surprise readers and keep them on the edge of their seats. It's just, it, it, it's such a gutsy Mm. book. Um, like what a way to come out of the gate. She is a force. Uh, and this is, I think just the first in what will be a long and successful career. She has a book of nonfiction coming out later this year called bad feminist. Uh, that's a, essays on feminism and contemporary culture. And it's also really spectacular. Um, she's just prolific and smart. Uh, it's a paperback original. So if you're buying it in print, you can get it, I think for 1699, mm. the eBooks and it, that was not a, a hard release. So the uh, it's print kind of versions been swirling around, out yeah, there, have been you know. floating around for a while. But the ebooks were released this past week. So if you want to um, immediately buy it and then proceed to ignore uh, all of the people in your life for a couple of days while you stay glued to your couch and read it, uh, you can. And I highly recommend that you do. Uh, read that this weekend. Again, it's called An Untamed State by Roxanne Gay, and Roxanne has one N. Uh, another couple of uh, favorites of mine of the year, other great reads are out. One is Delancey, A Man, A Woman, A Restaurant, A Marriage by Molly Weisenberg. Uh, she was the creator of the very popular Orangette blog, which was a blog about food and cooking and lifestyle. And this is the memoir of uh, she and her husband deciding to open a pizzeria uh, and the process of starting that restaurant, but also so that's it's his dream, uh, and she doesn't really know how she's going to support him in doing it and also pursue her own stuff because uh, opening a restaurant is an all-consuming activity, mm -hmm. uh, and their marriage struggles. They struggle individually and together through it, but it's uh, it's wonderfully written. If you like food and memoirs and food memoirs, you're going to want to pick up Delancey. Uh, and then sort of on the other end of voice, like I can't really imagine two different voices <laughs> than Molly Weisenberg and, and Colson Whitehead. Uh, the Noble Hustle. Uh, is out this week from Colson Whitehead. And uh, it is cause a memoir slash like meditation slash humorous look at the World Series of poker, uh, but also po poker culture. Uh, in 2011, Grantland, which is a sports website, staked Colson Whitehead to enter. He's a novelist, uh, if the name is not familiar to you, staked him to enter into the World Series of poker. And he went into training. He was going to Atlantic City once a week um, to participate in tournaments. He was meeting with pros to teach him things, you know, that he hadn't 
learned in his living room poker game with other writers in the last decade. Mm. Uh, and it's just like Colson Whitehead just has such a dry, funny, uh, observational mm-hmm. voice. It's so great. Like, I don't know Jack about poker, um, but I loved The Noble Hustle because uh, it's mostly not about poker. It's about like all of these other things around the poker community and about Colson Whitehead's existential angst <laughs> while learning poker and being away from his kid and like making peace with himself. Like it's just it's just so great. It's I really am listening fun. to that this 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 summer. I noticed it's um the audiobook he narrates it. Oh, so that I'm looking be so great. I'm looking forward to that. And it was I wouldn't have thought of him as a natural fit to cover the World Series of Poker because I don't think of him as a sports writer, but the kind of weird existential mm-hmm. like sadness tinged with hope and desperation (laughs) is like that is if you put it like that i'm like yes world series poker coles and white and he creates this new country called anhedonia uh which is the like that's the psychology word for no longer feeling pleasure from things that should give you pleasure (laughs) right Um, and he talks about himself and the other people in these poker tournaments as citizens of anhedonia uh it's it's really funny and great uh that's going to be so good on audio. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm, it looks like it's about seven hours or so I am on audio. jealous of that now. Um, and I'm just going to do one uh, shout out in paperback this week is The World's Strongest Librarian by Josh Hanagarn. He's a Book Riot contributor. Yay! <laughs> we love Josh. Uh, and this is his memoir. Um, Josh grew up with Tourette's Syndrome. Uh, he wasn't officially diagnosed until he was a freshman in high school, but he was six years old when he first started having symptoms. And when he was in his 20s, uh, by the time that he was 20, he had reached the height of six foot seven. He is a big guy. Big fella. And uh, so he was a, a big guy with tics from his Tourette syndrome that were really causing him difficulties uh, in his daily life. And he had tried a bunch of things, but he finally uh, met someone who taught him how to deal with his tics through feats of strength. And so now he is a six foot seven uh, librarian in Salt Lake City who is also like a competitive weightlifter. And this is uh, his. It's his memoir. It's um, a book lover's adventures is the subtitle. The book is called The World's Strongest Librarian, and it's about someone using uh, books, but also personal strength and physical strength to overcome a disability and um, and add more meaning to his life. And it's really great. Uh, So we're not just loving on it because we love Josh. The book is really fantastic as well. And uh, yeah, that's our shout out. Great. Um, I'm going to do one quick thing. Uh, not a new book, but we've talked about Saga by um, Brian, uh, written by Brian K. Vaughn and illustrated by Fiona Staples a lot. Yes, and we've also talked about Humble Bundle before, which is basically it's a it's a each week they do a collection of whatever. Sometimes video games, sometimes it's novels. This week it's graphic novels, or excuse me, gr- s- comic books that are in serial form, but not not capes as we call them, not superheroes, but all different kinds of. Um, illustrated stories. And the profits go to charity. It's pay what you will. And the first tier, there's four collections, volumes from different series. And you can pay 50 cents and get them all. But if you pay above the average that people pay, you get the next tier. And right now that next tier is you pay $10.15 and unloads this next tier. And there are six other collections, but included in those are the first two volumes of Saga. So for $10.16, you could get 
both two volumes and a bunch of other stuff I've never heard of um, that will be interesting to, to try, which is a heck of a deal. So that's Do a really it. good way to go try. You know, normally those collections, I think, are 12 or $16 by themselves. It's a digital, I should say. Mm-hmm. Also, if you want to pay more than $15, you can get the first volume of The Walking Dead and huh. the most recent volume of The Walking Dead. So if that's something you've been wanting, interested in trying as well, for 15 bucks, you're getting, Yeah. I mean, you're getting, uh, I can't even do the math. Uh, you're getting 12 volumes of, of graphic novels, including two things I personally will will vouch for and then yeah. The Walking Dead a lot of other people have. And, man, if you're itching for some impulse buys, yeah, and it's DRM Humble free. Bundle is the way to go. They're right? DRM free. Um, so you can, whatever e-reader device you have, they have instructions on there for how to download it. So that's humblebundle.com. Check, uh, check out. that out. Do you All know right. when that one expires? Uh, oh, you know what? That's a good thing to say. It expires in three days. So you're going to have to hear this by uh, Monday night. Um, which would be Monday, May 12th, 2014, to get in on this. So You would be rewarded for being among the first listeners. <laughs> yeah, right. You would get this and download it right away, and you can hear it. But uh, well, that's the Humble Bundle. And we're going to sh- wrap this up, because yes. Skype has really been giving us a hard We've time. We've had a what hard we- time. So we're going to get off. Maybe this is uh, Skype's way of telling us, stop working on Saturday Yeah, mornings. maybe we should get out of here. All right. Thanks, Rebecca. So, well, you can find us, right? We need you yeah. to sign off. Let's do. I like this sign yeah, off. Okay. It's our one year anniversary. All right. Well, we I do am always. I'm reading oh. Ape on Twitter. You can find me there. She is Rebecca Shinsky on Twitter. S C H I N S K Y. You can find us at bookriot.com all the time. You can follow Book Riot on Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Tumblr. Search for Book Riot. You can find us there. If you want to rate the show on iTunes, we're a year in. This would be a, that'd be a nice gift if you that wanted to get us one. That would be a very nice gift. Rate us on iTunes. Write a review. That's very helpful. You can always give us feedback at podcast at bookriot.com. We read those and respond and, and um, take your criticism and comments and ideas really seriously And you can there. find all of the show notes at bookriot.com slash podcast with all of the links to the story that we talked about today and all of the new books. All right. So next time we're going to start on year two. Yes. All right. We'll talk to you later. Have a good one. Bye.